What's up, Patriots, and welcome to the very first episode of Unfiltered American. I'm your host, Kaylin Britton, and today I am joined by my good friend, Damani Felder. For those of you who don't know, Damani is a Black conservative and content creator, so if you're not following him already, you need to now. Uh, Damani, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kaylin. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people who are listening probably found me through you, so I think they're pretty familiar with your work. Um, but I don't think everyone is privy to the same information. So you've mentioned to me previously that you were not always considered a conservative and that even for a short period of time, you really fell into the Black Lives Matter movement. So I want to know a little bit about the evolution of you and what that looked like. You know, is there a specific piece of information, an event or an individual who, essentially red-pilled you, or how did you come into your current uh, political viewpoint? Sure. So I was raised in a household with two conservative parents, and I do remember from time to time actually watching them, watching the presidential debates of the day, but I'm blessed that they did not foist those views upon me and my siblings aggressively. We were allowed to actually ask questions, and that's actually the cornerstone of what I believe now. But the collegiate experience is a very trying time for many individuals. And when I was attending Texas A&M University, right around 2013 was my junior year. And that was when the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case really reached its zenith, if you will. And uh, the trap I fell into was the trap of, to a certain degree, social media peer, pre- peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Because back then, at that time, that was when Black Lives Matter, the organization, was really in its nascency, you could say. And there were a lot of people who were beginning to have their sentiments galvanized by that particular case. I myself was one of them because Mm -hmm. I chose to latch on to the narrative that African Americans were being disproportionately hunted and killed by members of law enforcement or the community at large. Of course, that is not absolutely true. Mm -hmm. But I actually began to espouse those sentiments even on social media. But I'm grateful that I had a few friends who were bold enough and brave enough to actually approach me and ask me if I had entertained the points raised by the other side. And when I chose to actually swallow my pride and actually evaluate the information that they were making available to me, I had to realize that I had been played for a fool by the media but almost by virtue of my own ignorance, because I was so willing to allow the media and the powers that be in the mainstream media dictate and prescribe my thinking that I was no longer able to think critically myself. So from that point moving forward, I made a promise to myself that I was not going to allow myself to be made a fool of ever again, either by my own lack of understanding or my own ignorance. So from that point moving forward, I chose to actually begin to question what I hear from the mainstream media, to begin to dig deeper and fall back on my own critical thinking abilities. And obviously, the more information I found, the more I was made aware that the narratives that we hear from those individuals in the mainstream media are just that, they're narratives with an agenda behind them. And I've chosen to revoke those as I move forward. And that kind of really kicked off why I am what I am today. (laughs) So I'm curious, when you started to formulate this new opinion, did you get a lot of pushback or even some hatred from friends or people you thought you were friends? I know 
it's hard to find a family unit that all has the same political beliefs as well. Did you face any backlash from family members? Yeah, absolutely. There's always going to be backlash when you choose to take a side. And right. it's the unfortunate side effect of a culture that seems obsessed with the notion of team sports as it relates to politics. <laughs> right. Uh, people are saying, oh, I'm on this team, I'm on that team. My question really is, what is the truth and what is a lie? And how mm-hmm. do we discern between those two? So while I've had some siblings that have chosen to you know, disassociate themselves from me either on social media or in normal life, Mm-hmm. I have to be okay with that because I'm secure in my knowledge of the truth. And because I am someone who used to fall for some of the same trappings that it would appear some of them have fallen prey to themselves, I understand the way they might interpret the world around them, but I also understand what the other side has to say, and I right. understand what the truth really is. Yeah. Well, we definitely live in probably one of the most polarizing political climates that our generations ever experienced. And I think that's a lot to do with the media, but then we have social media. I mean, you and I both are very vocal, both on our personal accounts and then, you know, the public accounts that we share with our our followers. So it's definitely a hard game not to play. And it's hard not to, I think, fall into the trap of political or identity politics. You know, everyone, I think, feels like to be a conservative, you have to be able to check in a certain number of boxes. And then same for the left, you know, you have to check certain boxes. And there's definitely core values that I think both parties uh, will agree or disagree on. And, and that's what makes them that party. But we're definitely entering a time where it's really hard to find friends or friend groups that are diverse. And by diverse, I just mean political viewpoint. You know, it's really hard to avoid any argument or any argument when you're in a friend group because politics just come up so frequently. And we even have work environments where it comes up. And then people, I think, are scared to speak out or scared to speak up and then feel a little bit silenced if they do find themselves on the right side of the aisle. Yeah. And the problem is not that politics has seeped into the everyday conversations that we have. The problem really is that one side of the argument, as it were, has become accustomed to being insulated from any negative repercussions or insulated from any varying uh, views whatsoever. Right. There's a, a reason that so many people feel stifled right now, and it's because so many individuals on the left, because they have such a foothold in the media as mm-hmm. it stands today, then they feel disproportionately emboldened and mm-hmm. they begin to comport themselves as if they do have the only prevailing way of thought, which is not true. And whenever anyone who disagrees dares to speak up, then they are canceled or threatened with uh, 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 with every literally anything up to and including actual physical assault. Right. And that such is the nature of the intolerance of many individuals who claim to champion tolerance. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show you that this status quo is simply untenable if it is allowed to persist unchecked. Right. Well, I've even noticed too that people are people are now arguing that your silence is just as bad as participating in the action. So for example, people who didn't post the black square on Instagram, these major influencers who that was their primary way of creating an income for themselves were all of a sudden being canceled or harassed or even receiving death threats simply for just not posting a black square on their social media feed, which 
really at the end of the day, what the hell is a black square going to do? Nothing. But I mean, again, and you'll see right around the time that the George Floyd, excuse me, the George Floyd riots started, people were just out dining at restaurants where they could, the few restaurants that were still open during the COVID craziness. And people were interrupting their meals, basically saying, you're not going to eat in peace until you get on your knees and bow down to me and, and repent for all of your white sin, which just is absolutely absurd to me. Mm-hmm. And here's the question, Kayla. If silence is compliance, you may be able to get so far with that train of thought. But then you also have to realize that if their own silence is compliance, then what do they comply with? If they do not speak up for individuals who are being unfairly targeted right now, or even innocent individuals who are losing their lives mm-hmm. in areas where crime is running rampant, then right. their silence in those situations implies just as much compliance as the silence they try to decry from individuals who are on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really interesting point. I've not heard it put that way before. Absolutely. Well, we're we're here to be unfiltered and think about things a little bit differently, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper on the BLM organization. Um, Obviously, it was created in response to the Trayvon Martin case, you know, the 17-year-old African-American who was killed by George Zimmerman, who was this guy on his neighborhood watch group in Florida. But it was definitely overstep on his part. It was definitely handled inappropriately. And I think the community's outcry was definitely warranted. So you have these three individuals, Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi, who have an opportunity to do something really great and really positive for the Black community. Where they fail is the fact that all three of them are self-proclaimed trained Marxists. So that should be throwing up red flags for every single person watching them on this worldly stage now. Mm-hmm. You know, and and again, they fail not just because of their their background and their belief system, but they not once have said anything about the innocent Black lives lost. They're really only ever talking about the George Floyds and the Breonna Taylors of the world, who at the end of the day are criminals. And a lot of these people that they speak out in support of are disobeying police officers. They're resisting arrest. They are committing crime. It's not as if they are these model citizens or heroes of today. You know, and and instead of actually working to better their communities and better these high crime environments, they are financially capitalizing off of the death of criminals, which is still sick and twisted. At the end of the day, these these are people whose lives are lost and family members are affected, but they're literally getting rich off of people dying in the black community. Exactly. And what's really unfortunate about BLM is that it's a movement that like many other movements and causes the Democrats claim to support, it's a movement that is born out of ostensibly good intentions. Yes, you want to drive on the message that Black Lives Matter. I would argue that no one at at any point in time ever since the Civil Rights Act was passed has really been arguing vociferously anything to the contrary. But the problem is they've chosen to champion individuals who are arguably the lesser part of society, productive society, polite society. And they've chosen to use them as their figureheads or their standard bearers. And what's very unfortunate about that is because so many individuals out there, because they want to be seen positively by their friends or family or whatever, 
then they are going to capitulate to an organization that on its face does have a very altruistic, benevolent bent to it. Mm -hmm. But what they don't realize is that that very self-same organization actually undercuts their own message when they do not apply even their own mottos unilaterally. It's one thing to say, yes, Black Lives Matter or what have you, but it's another thing to completely be silent when you have individuals who are shot and killed who are truly innocent. I'm talking about even those who are minors and we never hear them talk about any of the minors who have their lives unfairly or callously snuffed out. And that goes to show how subversive the organization has become because all they want to do is pick and choose when and which black lives matter. And that unfortunately reinforces the message that black lives matter is not their goal. Black lives matter is just a a very easy uh, rallying cry but it has nothing to do with the more serious issues that we have at hand. If you go back to the situation with Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, yes, on its face, that is a terrible atrocity that never should have taken place. But a lot of information that people don't realize is that in the roughly 12 or 13 months that preceded the Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman altercation, there were actually at least 400 at last count, last time I checked, 400 incidents of people engaged in some sort of criminal activity in that self-same area. Right. So that does that absolve George Zimmerman of any consequences? Absolutely not. But it does give you extra context and color as to why that situation escalated the way it did. And if right. you look at any inf- instance of Black Lives Matter over the past several years, what you'll find is that it is those key bits of information that are conspicuously missing from the public's consciousness, which therefore serves to further taint or color the uh, whole interaction, the way that the media narrative or the way that BLM desires for it to be. Therefore, the actual truth and the real details are never fully uncovered and presented to the public. No. And the media does nothing to present those or doesn't even try to make this extra information available to the public. They're writing again on this narrative and and all for the clickbait and trying to get traffic because there's money to be made there. You know, no one, wa- no one really cares about bringing you the true story. They just want to be the first people to break the news. Mm-hmm. If it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. That's a saying that anyone who's familiar with, you know, news media is very familiar with. And they are always going to elect to go with the more salacious Mm -hmm. news story than with a more principled, grounded take. And that is because they feed off of the inherent, honestly, decision that many people make to immediately look for the absolute worst in every situation. Not right. that it doesn't exist, but there are some cases where the truth and the facts of the cases are more nuanced than they would initially appear. How many mm-hmm. times over these last several years have we seen the initial narrative that first comes out be debunked as time goes on? Right. It's right. Be- because no one really cares about correcting the record In the beginning, the media knows that the average individual now has become so accustomed to having that initial story be the one that most people remember, that there is never any need to actually go out and correct the record when people already have their preconceived idea of what happened more or less baked in by the mainstream media themselves. 
Yeah. I mean, both BLM and mainstream media, I mean, they're both frauds. And we need to start talking more about the damage that BLM has caused to this country and the lives and the communities that have been wrecked because of the protests. And these protests, again, ride on on the sentiment that, oh, this innocent man was killed at the hands of police. Well, he wasn't innocent. He was resisting. You know, let's talk about the business owners who couldn't open their stores because people were pissed off and you know, lighting entire cities on fire and throwing Molotov cocktails at police officers and and causing more and more harm to their own communities. You know, BLM is responsible for over $1 billion in damage. Yeah, actually, last time I checked that, that number actually got just north of $2 billion as really? of last count. Yep. So the numbers continue to roll in. Talking about the damages that they were uh, responsible for from last summer the summer of rage, if you will. But what's really interesting <laughs> is that you will find so many individuals who will go out of their way to exculpate those uh, ne'er-do-wells in the Black Lives Matter movement who are responsible for those damages using the common refrain that, oh, these businesses, they all have uh, insurance. They'll be okay. Things can be replaced. Lives cannot. And, you know, you can really turn it on its head by saying, well, individuals who commit these atrocities, most of them probably have life insurance. You can put that shoe on the other foot if you really want to. <laughs> right, it just goes right. to show how, how myopic their overall approach to this, uh, to this chicanery really is. Exactly. I mean, and when you look at the finances for the BLM organization, I mean, that's just one more red flag that everybody is just ignoring. You know, they brought in, I believe it was as of 2019. And this is a little bit, in my opinion, in part to why Patrice Cullors is finally resigning. I think enough people, including Democrats and BLM supporters, are starting to see through her facade. You know, they brought in over $900 million in 2019. And so they did a financial audit. And the breakdown is ridiculous. So I want to say 25% went to salaries, benefits, payroll, taxes. Okay, great. The other 46% went to consultant fees. So that leaves roughly 30% of their $900 million unaccounted for. They have no clue where this money went. So that's $270 million. Mm -hmm. And yet Patrice Cullors is out there buying $3 million homes in total. And you know what's really funny about all that, Kaylin, is that if you think about these individuals, a lot of them, they believe that they are owed some form of reparations, right? Right. If you actually were able to redistribute a lot of the wealth that BLM actually brought in just over the last year, mm-hmm. you could actually write a check to every black person in this country if you really wanted to. Right. But that's right. not the goal. The goal is selective personal enrichment and then continuance of their narrative. And that what's most egregious about this is that while those funds have seemingly vanished into the ether, what's really interesting is a lot of the same spokespeople, the ones who are pushing this message constantly, are themselves some of the most affluent minority individuals here in America. So yeah. why have they not stepped up tangibly to actually turn around and help, for most of their cases, many of the same communities they came from? Exactly. They have extreme insight into these inner cities and these areas where they were blessed to grow up and move away from it, where they know issues still persist. Mm-hmm. They choose to continue to sell this bill of false goods to the average down and out individual in those communities. And then they choose to act as if America is a, the most irredeemable place on the face of the earth when they themselves are living proof that that is not true. 
Yeah. Well, like I said, we finally are seeing big supporters of BLM starting to speak up and recognize the faults in the organization. So one, there's two people I want to go over specifically. So uh, Reverend T. Sherry Dixon, she's the Oklahoma City BLM um, chapter president. She says, I know some of the families are feeling exploited. They're pain exploited. That's not something I ever want to be affiliated with. And then you've got Rashad excuse me, Rashad Turner, who's the former chapter founder in St. Paul, Minnesota, he even spoke out and said the the entire premise of BLM and what they advertise themselves to be does not fit what really happens behind closed doors. All this money is not going back to communities. This is going directly into these three women's pockets. Well, two now, and then of course, chapter presidents. So, I mean, it's, it's again, capitalizing financially, on lives lost within the black community. It's done nothing for the community. In my opinion, I think it's driven this country into further division. And I think it's going to breed a new generation of racists. And I know you and I have had that conversation a couple of times. And I can say as someone who, as a white woman, is constantly told that I am inherently racist just because I was white or because I was born white, I can tell you it it has changed the way that people view one another simply because of skin tone. I think people walk on eggshells now and and they just kind of automatically expect some sort of confrontation, whether that be verbal or, you know, um, escalating into a physical altercation just because of difference in opinion or because one person maybe doesn't want to throw in their support for this movement. I mean, it's it's really changed the landscape and it's changed even the political landscape. I think without BLM and the media's help, I don't think Joe Biden would have gotten any momentum in his campaign. <laughs> Joe Biden himself, he really is the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving for the Democratic Party and for the Republican Party, for leftists and conservatives alike. And I say that because Joe Biden himself is the unvarnished true epitome of what those on the left really think about minorities. Yeah. And the more he opens his mouth, the more and the, the more he opens his mouth and the less he is called on the carpet by it, by his own colleagues, the mm-hmm. more that notion persists and continues to be true. If you have an individual like Joe Biden who has made such quips as, oh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, or <laughs> talks about how most recently he said that you know, black individuals, we don't have our own uh, accountants or lawyers. Oh, right. He continues to make these statements. And because the his colleagues there on the left are so enraptured by him and still so uh, power drunk, as it would appear, mm-hmm. they don't call him out on it. So that goes to show, well, they must not have a real issue with it because silence is compliance, right? Right. So exactly. They are silent on those issues that actually matter. And it, it, when you see people like Joe Biden who are lifted up and who are used as the apparent antidote to Mm -hmm. what President Trump was, it goes to show you that their concern, as it would appear, is not with helping minorities. Their concern is with keeping minorities under their thumb. And they use a litany of psychological tactics to keep us shackled to them ideologically, because as we all know, they used to keep us shackled literally. (laughs) And they right. can't do that anymore. So now they turn to the next, and I would argue, more insidious shackling mechanism because it's one that people do not even realize is actually around them to begin with. 
Exactly. Well, speaking of silence is compliance, you know, obviously you and I are both very vocal, you more so than me, and you've been in the game far longer than I. Was there a certain point or a certain event where you and your brother just looked at each other and said, fuck it, we got to start making content, we got to start putting our, our thoughts and our opinions and our voices out there? Well, yeah. And, you know, I would argue that anyone who's ever been willing to even raise their opinions at a bar or in a conversation with someone, they have more or less been in the game themselves. But, you know, my older brother and I, we actually started engaging in dialogue, I would call it, mm-hmm. on social media probably about 10 years ago now. Him right. more so than me at first. I always started speaking out more in 2013, again, after the Trayvon Martin incident. Mm-hmm. But as individuals saw us more or less execute a <laughs> dance back and forth where one person would raise a point, another person would raise a point, and we would both be going on the offensive against someone who disagreed with us. They started to ask, oh, well, have you considered doing a podcast? Have you considered doing this? Because you're really both really good at this. And my older brother, he had some limited podcasting experience from the sports world. Right. But I myself had no idea where to start. and the more people started asking and suggesting, the more I realized that it's something that I think everyone should feel some sort of urgency as far as getting in the game is concerned. If you have certain skill sets, even if you don't, the time for us to say someone else will do it has come and gone. Mm-hmm. So my older brother and I, we originally thought and we said, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go buy an iPad. That's what I said to myself. I went and bought an iPad and I taught myself how to edit and produce content. And that was a little more than three years ago. Now here I am and just a blessing to have been able to grow. And it has not been without consternation or controversy or subterfuge by the mainstream media or by social media. But nevertheless, I still persist. And not only myself, but what I'm most encouraged by is individuals even like yourself who are taking up that mantle of leadership yourselves and saying, we are going to put some skin in the game. We are going to become participants in this process because we also care so much about this country that we're willing to actually put ourselves on the line to a certain degree. And that's really the mentality that many other people, not just myself and yourself, but many others need to adopt themselves if we are to be successful and unlock the potential of what this country can actually be. Well, I think that's a really great point. I talk about this a little bit more in the next episode, but you know, year after year and election after election, we donate to campaigns and we elect these politicians into positions of power only for them to forget about the people who got them there. And until more individuals start finding their voice and finding the platform and, or the media that works best for them, we're not going to be able to really see America as it should be and as it was created to be. And that's a really scary thought. You know, we're looking at people who potentially lose their jobs because they do what you and I do. We we want to be vocal. We post what we want on all of our social media because this is what we believe in. And it's something that is very important to us. So I think anyone who feels like their voice is not being heard and they're afraid to speak out, you've got to just do it. You know, this is this is your future, your kids' future. Like remember why America was created and and the values that it was created upon. So I really appreciate everything you do. Um, Guys, if you're not following Damani already, I highly encourage you to. His Common Sense series is phenomenal. You're going to learn a lot and they're absolutely hilarious. So give him a follow. Damani, thank you so much for coming on the show and being the inaugural guest. 
Absolutely. And you know, I want to leave all the listeners out there with is this. I realize there might be trepidation with speaking out and beginning that journey. But the most important question you have to ask yourself is, what could happen if I don't? Right. Eventually, one day, it will be your foremost duty to be that line of defense against what we see encroaching upon us. And it is very important that we realize the gravity of the situation that we're in right now and then begin working tirelessly to change the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. Well, thank you, Damani. I really appreciate you coming on here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Kaylin. All right, guys. So in my introduction, I called BLM a domestic terrorist organization. And apparently that did not sit well with some of you. Um, I still stand by that comment. And I'm going to tell you why. So last year alone, 2,000 police officers were injured at the hands of BLM rioters. Another 264 police officers died in the line of duty last year. Okay, that is the highest number that we have seen in this country since 1974. That's a problem. We cannot keep letting this organization and its founding members and chapter presidents get off scot-free. This organization is going to only continue the division in this country. Eventually, I think you're going to start seeing this new generation of racists lining up to become police officers and doing it out of hate and not doing it for the reason that our current police officers do it. And that is to protect and serve their community. So anyone who wants to come for me and tell me that that is too harsh of a statement to be making, I'd ask you to go talk to law enforcement officers and their families. And you go ask them if they think that's too harsh. Aside from that, I really appreciate you guys listening, sharing my content. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, share it with your friends. And I may have one more a little bit sooner rather than later.